This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via our participating restaurants, 18 plus reward registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply, see mcdonalds.com. ITN Sports. Steve Scott. Steve, welcome to uh, Forever Bristol City uh, podcast. Uh, busy time for you at the moment, I think, with all the uh, stuff that's going on in the broader world of sport, yes? Yeah, it is, absolutely. I've been, seemed to be, the last couple of months working non-stop on a, a story we kind of broke, uh, as I say, a couple of months ago about um, abuse within gymnastics, and it's kind of taken over my life in the last couple of months. A whole world I didn't know about, but... Um, uh, it's been quite shocking, actually, what we've uncovered happening sort of in elite sport. We think when we go to the Olympic Games or we switch on the TV and watch the Olympics that all those athletes are at uh, the pinnacles of their careers, which they are, but they're there happily. And it transpires, especially in gymnastics at the moment, that that's not the case. I mean, there are a lot of broken, um, mainly women, uh, who've been right at the top of their sport out there. And it's been something that's occupied me for the last couple of months. Very interesting, sad, but hopefully at the end of it all, um, uh, gymnastics will be a better place. But back to uh, Bristol City and your Bristol City history. I mean, Bristol born and bred, Clifton College educated, if I'm correct. Uh, what was your first game at Ashton Gate, if you can remember that far back? Do you know what? I? <laughs> yeah, it is a long time ago. <laughs> I think the one that sticks in my mind, uh, and I'm not sure, I'm actually not sure if it was my first, but uh, the one that I definitely remember uh, was the because of the opposition. It was Leeds United, that great Leeds United side. I think it was, was it the mid-70s? Yeah, 1974, FA Cup, fifth round. Yeah, that's right. And they, there was Bremner, Yorath, Hunter, who obviously came to us in the end, Cooper, Clark, all, the, all, the, all those great names of the time coming down to to Ashton Gate and I remember that really well especially I, I when I think back at it I always see Billy Bremner with the ball um, I think they were yellow that day as well they that's, did yeah yeah that's how I remember it and I think that was probably probably my first game yeah and and, I, and I obviously I remember and I got to know him a little bit actually afterwards Keith Keith Fierce fantastic goal that day um, I know, it was a chip I, from about 25 yards, wasn't it, if I recall? That's right, that's right. It was a really great goal and a really nice bloke who I got to meet a bit afterwards, uh, many years afterwards. So, yeah, that was probably it. So, football was your thing back then, but going to Clifton College, was there a pressure maybe to be more of a player and do rugby? Or how did, how did your sporting uh, career go from the point of view of playing and watching? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, um, yeah... <sighs> Yeah, it was a, it was more of a rugby school than a, than a football school, and in fact, it was only in my in the later years or just before I left when they started allowing us, if you like, we we, we, all, we played football right from uh, when we were younger, uh, and because I, I actually remember I had a believe it or not I had a trial for I think it was called the Bristol Boys in those days, which was mm. a sort of amalgamation of City and Rovers youth teams, and uh, I remember it very well because 
uh, I stood out like a, a sore thumb at being a very average footballer amongst all these very hungry, very quick uh, players from all over Bristol. And um, all I remember about it was what, uh, the, the, the head coach at the end of it came up to me and said, um, they feed you well at your school, don't they? And that, and that was, and that was, I think that was where my professional football career began and ended. But yeah, and then from from about the age of eleven, we we mainly played rugby and did all the way up to the end. And it was only the last year I was at school where they introduced football for, uh, and I did play for the the first team. But you were able to go off to Ashton Gate during the I'll call it well, the Halcyon days, seven, the four seasons, seventy six to eighty. Very good um, book on that with Alan Dix and. That side, I mean, I don't know whether uh, you're aware, but it's actually 40 years ago this week that Alan Dix was fired. And I looked up at the weekend that seven of the team that took them up against uh, Arsenal, that opening match at the Highbury, played in the game against Swansea some four years later when he got sacked. Yeah, Do you think that we were too loyal to... Those players, you know, in these long contracts, right. or were you a little bit too young to remember the significance of giving yeah. five whitehead 11 years? Yeah, no. To, well, definitely that's absurd, isn't it, when you think about it in today's terms. But actually, what an interesting statistic that is. That, and I had no idea. Uh, seven players playing in that, in that final game we played in the Arsenal game. Yeah. It's extraordinary. I mean, you just wouldn't have that now. And yeah, absolutely. Although the turnover obviously wasn't quite... Uh, as quick in those days to have seven players for that length of time surely shows that loyalty was uh, yeah, there was too much loyalty there and the, and the team wasn't allowed to develop it yeah from that from that standpoint and when City hit their absolute basement low 82 I'm guessing you were probably uh, at college then or something like that so watching it from afar I mean the Ashton Gate 8 40th anniversary coming up in a couple of years time but uh, you know, you couldn't see players uh, these days ripping up their contracts to save the club, could you? No, absolutely not. And they still are, you know, it's, it's great that they've been commemorated this season on the kit, actually, because I still think it is probably the most significant um, moment in the club's history. And it, there have been lots of, of times, in fact, if you think back to last season, rugby and Saracens um, and... Uh, all the fuss about um, the payments that their players were getting. It made me think about the Ashton Gate 8 and I was thinking about um, elite sport and how you would just never, ever, ever get to that place again where a group of players to save a club um, would agree to tear up their contracts. It, it just wouldn't happen. It's unthinkable. So uh, we do owe them a huge debt of gratitude. I can't believe it's 40 years ago, uh, but it's great that they're being commemorated. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting this summer with... Uh with COVID, that our existing players, they took uh, a deferment, which is not a cut, is it? You know, so those players that maybe took half of their, let's say, 15 grand a week for a 13-week period, they've not said, well, write that off. They've got that coming back to them at some stage in the future. Yeah? Yeah, but I, I, do you know what? I have some sympathy with them because, um, you know, it's it doesn't hurt... It, they're, they're basically just helping helping the clubs in the, in mm. these situations when because I, th I thought about this long and hard when there was a lot of pressure on the uh, Premier League players to take cuts and I was thinking well actually you know you are contributing to the the exchequer with yes. the, you know they're all very well very well paid so you're you're contributing an awful lot of tax which would suddenly 
be lost from the exchequer, so be lost from the NHS. When you take a, a, a pay cut against your club, you're only actually helping the club. You're not helping the rest, the rest of the community. So I, I do have a certain amount of sympathy with them. If it got to a stage, obviously, where, the, where a club um, you know, couldn't survive, uh, if that were the case, then obviously that's a, a different in- issue. But I, I don't really have a, have a problem uh, with them deferring it. Yeah, no, I think you make a very good point as well. That you know they're all paying fifty percent tax, so it's going into the club's pocket or reducing the club's losses rather than uh, putting it back into society. Now, often when I've watched uh, news at ten over the years, you pop up in some of the most uh, exotic uh, places uh, in the world. Give me two or three memories that you've had of different sports. But let's start with a football one. If you look back and say I was there or that was really good having that session with that individual. But let's have just have a two or three, but obviously football uh, first. Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, up until quite recently, in fact, probably up until Gareth Southgate took over, the, the, the experiences with um, England have not been that enjoyable because the football, despite the quality of player and quality of squad, the football's been so poor and the results have been... <laughs> so depressing i mean i was in uh, i was in south africa for the for the world cup there you know uh, another tournament that we were supposed to do really well in under fabio capello i mean it was the most terrible tournament uh, for england they capello hated us didn't understand what the media were there for had no <laughs> had no interest in us whatsoever um he put all the players in this, you know, fantastic hotel, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So they described it as a five-star prison. They weren't very happy. There were a few cliques in there. There was a Chelsea clique led by John Terry and a Liverpool clique led by, um, or a Liverpool Man United clique led by Steve Gerrard. So it, it was a complete and utter mess. And we, we were, we were um, in the end, we were resorted to um, trying to guess which golf course to try and get access with them, try and get guess which golf course they were playing at, and going hiding in the bushes and and filming them from afar. And um, we were caught, I was caught by Capello one day, sort of. I mean, we shouldn't be doing it really, but it's because they are. <laughs> uh, and and I remember him walking over to the bushes because he obviously saw them twitch as we were filming, and him calling me a buffoon. And uh, so you know, relations weren't very weren't very good in those days, and the football was just as bad. Um, but then moving on, you know, Gareth, Gareth Southgate, let's forget about, you know, the, the last week. But Gareth Southgate is a very enlightened man, a very enlightened manager. And he's, he's given the, what, what is really interesting and the real difference from, you know, Capello and to a certain extent Roy Hodgson, who was a very, very popular man and, and, and a very generous figure. And, you know, I got to know him quite well. And he was completely the opposite to um, Capello in, in the sense of building relationships with the media. Uh, but Gareth Southgate has, has gone further. And what has been quite enjoyable for us is that he said to his players, look, you know, I want you to engage with the media. I want you to be yourself. I want you to tell your stories. You know, you're human beings. We don't want these robots on television. It's a, it's a privilege to play for England. So go out there and, and talk about that. Talk about your life. And as a result, I think England players, well, I, I would say that up until now, a week ago. <laughs> yeah, up, up until about a week ago. I say that, you know, they put on a human face. They've made a connection with fans. And then, of course, we and see... What, <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, exactly. And then we've got Maguire, we've got Green, you know, and it's all gone to, got to hell in a handcart. Yeah, yeah. So that's football. What, what, what are the sporting highlights at that, on that international level of you uh, 
if you recall well, looking back on your career? Yeah, I suppose the Olympics really are the, are the big ones. 2012 was, you know, even though, I mean, I love traveling abroad, but 2012 in London was, there was something special about it, you know, even for, for the cynics. It was just a time when, you know, it didn't seem to rain. The country came together. Everyone was interested in, in what was going on at the Olympics. Uh, Team GB did really well. Um, it was just a magical time. And, um, and then, you know, Rio, four years later, again, Team GB did even better. It, 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 there's just something about the Olympics that is um, it's just a real pleasure to, pleasure, pleasure to cover. Um, and and I, don't, I mean, the sports within it, uh, a lot of them struggle individually because they're not that followed in between, you know, major games. But when it comes to the Olympics, everybody everybody seems to be engaged, and um, it's quite a mystery, really, why these sports don't succeed um, in between games. But I, I guess it's just because it's this one big event, one big party, a sport on every day, different sport on every day, which everyone feels they can lose themselves in for, for two weeks, but they're not that much, you know, not that interested afterwards. Okay, let's go back to uh, City again. Uh, looking back. Um, Best player to wear a City shirt that you always enjoyed watching? You thought, yeah, that's, that, that's good. That's a big, good number of years there. I mean, it's, there it's is. many times you look on the forum and most people, they, must, they don't seem to know what happened before the year 2000. Maybe that's yeah. because I'm getting old and what have you. But, you know, if you look at your time, who, who's given you the most joy as a City player? Well, there are so many. I mean, there's so many who haven't, but there are so, there are so many... <laughs> so many you have and I suppose the most exciting player I ever saw and it may be because of my age at the time as well was was Jack Anofsky. um he basically because he's the sort of footballer I like watching whether it, whether it's in a city shirt or any other shirt he was just like he he seemed to he, he just played with freedom uh, he didn't look like he was under any pressure I mean he wasn't the most consistent player in the world but he he just did great things with a football and I just you know, when you've got a player like that playing for Bristol City, it's, it's just a real joy and it's a real privilege. So he's one from the early days that, that stand out. Although, you know, in sort of contrast to that, I love a player like Jerry Gow as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, you would never say that watching Jerry Gow is the most exciting thing in the world, but boy, did I love him, have him in my yeah, team. If, he, if I had to pick a player, if I had to pick a, one player that defined City, and I mean, sadly, he passed away a few years ago now, but... Uh, Jerry Gow would be that that man. You know, he could score from midfield. He was tough in the tackle. They uh, yeah. saw it, showed a clip of uh, Man City Spurs Cup final on that uh, something I was watching the other day, and he was he was left for dead when Villa went on that run for uh, the winning goal. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, he was lucky because you know the young Jerry Gow probably would have clipped his legs or something like that. But uh, he yeah, wasn't yeah. afraid to put the foot in. And if you look back again, who, who was the most frustrating? enigmatic maybe city player that you watched mm, i don't know probably but, so many of those as well. yeah there are there are loads there are i mean there are players that i thought should have done a lot better than they did um, and, and players who i think you know a player like tommy dock for example i i thought he was i thought he was a wonderful wonderful footballer and it really frustrated me that he he didn't you know he didn't go on and become legendary if you if you like um i'm just trying to think of some of the so, i mean there's another one who would play for us on loan and i think it was 2010 stephen Kulker. uh this he was at spurs and he came down on loan and, and i thought and then he went to Swansea, and then he's get after us and, Liv 
and, then and Liverpool. He went had personal difficulties, I think. Yeah, yeah, he does. And I actually I've caught up with him relatively recently, and it, it is a very sad story. And it actually started in Bristol, which I don't know if a lot of people um, know about, but I mean, he was there as a young kid on loan from Spurs on his yeah. own. Um, and at a bit of a, you know, with a bit of money in his pocket, but at a, a bit of a loss of what to do. And I think, you know, that's when the casino started and, um, you know, the drinks. And, and I think it was the start of a, a, a difficult time for him. But, but subsequent to, to City, and I thought he was brilliant that season, by the way. I think he more or less kept us up. With yes, it. he did. Um, yeah. Um, he, um, you know, he went, he went on to play for England, for goodness sake. So, it, but in the end, you know, it all got to him and, and his... He he had some re- real difficulties, but yeah, he he he's one that I thought could have been, you know, because we had Danny Rose at the time, didn't we? And look on what Danny Rose has gone on to do. Uh, but I think Steve Corker was a cut above most people in at the time, but uh, it never happened on a consistent basis for him. Yeah, no, it is interesting how players are looked after, particularly youngsters. And I mean, even at England level, Foden and uh, the the Man United lad, you know, they. <laughs> You know, they're 18 and 20, you know, that's a very, very young age. And you look at somebody like Nicholas Eliasson for City, 21, away from his family, banged up in a flat in Bristol. Okay, it's been a bit different because of COVID. Do you think clubs in general do enough to keep their players on the straight and narrow or have they got so much money that they have a diffident attitude to authority, full stop? I'm not sure that that's the case, but I think, and I think clubs are now an awful lot more aware of their responsibility and their duty of care to these young lads. I mean, comparatively speaking, of course, if you're talking about the license of this world, although he's, you know, he's, he's 21 now, he's not a, not a kid, but the money uh, and the, he's getting um, compared with what, you know, let's say Corker would have got when he was in Bristol is huge. But I, th- I think the clubs are a little bit more educated now into the, to their, their duty of care. Having said that, you know, young lads are going to be young lads. And um, it is very frustrating, or it must be very frustrating for the England setup. And for you and me looking outside, thinking, what on earth were you thinking? Yeah. Um, to, to, I mean, to Foden, especially, well, both of them really, Foden and Greenwood. I mean, Foden has got the world at his feet. I mean, England is crying out for him. He plays for the, you know, arguably the, arguably the best, well, one of the best clubs in Europe. Yep. And you think, really, what, what, what is it about the environment or what is it that you don't understand that allows you to do something like that? And, you know, even whatever the reasons behind it, he broke quite, quite obvious and quite strict rules, or they both did. And you, it makes you think, doesn't it, that, you know, while we've been applauding Gareth Southgate, the environment he's created in England, maybe it's... I don't know, maybe, maybe it's an environment that needs to be a little bit more strict or people need to be, mm. maybe they've got, maybe because they're new lads who've come in, uh, they haven't taken on board the messaging and um, maybe it needs to be reinforced in England. But it, is, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that we've, you know, Maguire and, and now these two. Um, uh, yeah, I think, I, th- I think that's something that football really needs to be careful of. When they're paying these absurd salaries to the, these young lads, uh, they have a duty of care to them as well. I mean, obviously, footballers have to take responsibility themselves. Um, but you know, they've been, especially nowadays as well. They, you know, they don't they don't see the real world. They, from the ages of you know nine, ten, eleven, they're part of a, a club. They're part of a system. 
mm. they probably don't have to do anything for themselves. They probably don't even have to think for themselves on a daily basis. It's just about football training. They're told what to do. So, you know, when they're given a little bit of freedom, it's hardly surprising that, you know, when they've got the resources, like all of them do, that they may go a bit crazy. When you talk about being part of a club and part of a system, and then you look at what Steve Lansdowne's trying to do at Bristol City, which is the Barcelona model. You know, he's got the football club, he's got a rugby club that are doing exceptionally well at a fraction of the cost of the football club. Basketball as well, the ladies' football, what have you. I mean, Steve Lansdowne is, 60 years ago, it was Mr. Harry Dolman, and hence the Dolman stand, but Steve is very much Mr. Bristol City, and he's poured millions into the club, you know, and he has his critics, yeah. But, you know, we're very lucky in the city of Bristol to have a benefactor like him across all those sports, aren't we? I hope people realise how lucky we are because it's, it's almost like we expect it now. But when you think of what has happened to Bristol's sport, um, not the company, but sport in Bristol, uh, thanks to him over the last, you know, 10 years, it is, it is extraordinary. I mean, what he's done to the stadium, the fact that he's brought other sports in. Look what's happened to rugby this year. I mean, none of, none of this would have, would have happened without Stephen Lansdowne. And as you say, he has, but yeah, okay, he's got the money, but he is spending it. And he's doing it in a way uh, which we all might find frustrating at times. Uh, and, and you know what I mean by that. But he is doing it. And it's a, it's a word that he uses on you know, numerous occasions in a sustainable way way i think it is the right way because it means that in the end if god forbid um he walked away or the lansdowne family walked away but you know maybe his legacy could continue without him and without his backing uh but yes he, he's transformed um transformed bristol city um and he's transforming the bears the women's football, the basketball. I think, it, I think it's really genuinely something, whether you're red or blue or whether you're not that interested in sport, that everybody in, in this city should be really proud of. Yeah, from, from that point of view. And if we look at the Lansdowne years, and let's bring it uh, more up to the current, but the Lansdowne years, I, I guess you, like me, were devastated back in 2008 when that uh, Gary Johnson team came within... A fractured jaw. I say that because I'm sure Bradley or his injury on the day and Jamie McCoon crying off on the morning with a stomach complaint. That was, you know, as close as we've been, wasn't it, in Lansdowne's tenure to, to making it. And, you know, do you think we screwed up in that transfer window? I know it's 10 years ago, well, 12 years ago, but we went out and signed Adibola and that altered our style of play because we weren't high goal scoring, but we always used to play to feet. But what are your recollections just looking back on that, that, that season? Because that was a good season, whichever way you cut it. Yeah, yeah, it was a great season, really. I mean, apart from the disappointing end. But I, 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 I remember thinking back, and I, you know, you try and erase these things, don't you? But I remember thinking at the time, Adebola, you're right. I mean, he wasn't a bad signing in the sense that he, he was... He was a one in three. He was a one in three goal scorer. You couldn't exactly. think of that. But you're right. But asking people, to, it, it, I think everybody knew at the time, as far as you know, this this was a great opportunity. Where we were, how we'd been playing um, at Christmas. Uh, by that time, everybody everybody knew, and I think I'm right in saying that actually, um, if you look at the history of promotions from the Championship since the Premier League has been in, um, uh, I think we're the only team who have finished outside or have failed to get promoted when when being in a um, in first or second or whatever it was 
at that time of the year. Anyway, that's by yeah, the by. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it, it, I, I felt at the time, and, and I remember thinking at the time, you know, Adebola, not a bad signing, but come on, let's have, let's really do this. And if we really commit to this, and that would mean another couple of, a couple of sites. I think we lacked a, I don't know why. I mean, I, I remember at the time thinking, who we, we need Kevin Phillips, someone like Kevin Phillips. Yeah. And if we had a, if we had a Kevin, Kevin Phillips type player to fit into that team, I think that would be it. We'd be guaranteed. It would, we'd be going up and it, and it just didn't quite work. And the, you know, the final day was, Oh, it was just, I mean, after such a great semi-final. I know the two matches against Palace oh, were stunning, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And just one of the, you know, the one at Ashton Gate was, I mean, yeah, at Palace was brilliant. Um, but then the one at Ashton Gate, it was just one of those great nights. One of those really, you know, in my top three great nights at Ashton Gate. And I bet one of the others was, well, never mind, we'll come on to Man United in a bit, but I bet one of the others was the Hartlepool game. Which it was. was uh, you know, yeah, when well, Christian Roberts came steaming in, you know, two one nil down with three minutes to go. Wasn't it? Like yeah, exactly. So we got, we, that was, um, was it Goodfellow who got the equal? The, That's right, know, header cross from the right, header in. Yeah. Which was like, you know, where did that come from in the first place? But I swear, even with, I think, maybe you discount Manchester United, but even with the Palace at home, I still remember that Hartlepool game as being the noisiest, Noisiest night at Ashton Gate. Glenn Paul the loudest. Glenn Paul, the ex-referee. I think he refereed that game, and I think he said that night was louder than a Madrid derby that I think he'd done. And the Dolman Stand Foundations sort of yeah. rattled a bit, didn't they? Because I was I, I was in the Williams that night, and I can rem- I absolutely remember that. It was like a mini earthquake when <laughs> when he scored. It was just sensational. Just yeah. sensational. Okay. Okay, Steve, let's look at uh, a bit more recent and bring it up to the current day. But uh, we've got to go back to Steve Cottrell's time uh, in charge. He was brought in to do a job. That summer, he bought half a dozen players. They did that very strong team-building trip to Botswana, courtesy of Steve Lansdowne. What are your recollections of that uh, promotion year under Steve Cottrell? Well, it was... It was really unusual, I seem to remember. It was unusual because you, for the first time in such a long time, you'd, you'd go into a game or you'd go, go down to the gate on a Saturday expecting to win. <laughs> and not only expecting to win, but expecting to win with some style. Yeah. And actually looking, looking around the, the team and looking around the squad and you, you'd thinking, wow, we've got a... I mean, OK, we were in the league we were in, but we have got a collection of players who are probably better than anything else that we see in the division. Yeah. And it was just, I thought he did really well to bring in the players that he brought in, um, whether that was down to him or his scouts or whatever. But I think the collection of players he got together, the squad he got together, the, the team spirit, it seemed quite clear. And you can tell from even today, because they all still talk about it and all still talk about getting together, uh, that he engendered was brilliant. And it was just one of those seasons where it just seemed everything worked. You know, they don't happen very often, but it just seemed that everything came together. The good players played well. No one really seemed to have a bad time. The injuries weren't a, weren't a disaster. And it, and it just worked. Well, they extracted was, a lot out of Aaron Wilbraham because he'd been around the block and he'd not been a prolific scorer, but he certainly banged the goals in then. And then Wade Elliott in midfield, he had him at Burnley, a very experienced player. Flynn, who had his critics at the start of his career, that he was a manic that season. But then you come to the summer of uh, 
2015. It all seemed to go a, peak, a bit Pete Tong for uh, Steve Cottrell. Um, he, you know, he wanted, allegedly wanted to buy Andre Gray and I think there was yeah. another striker. I can't remember the name of the other striker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were both, but he, 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 was, he was flashing nine million checks, wasn't he? Dwight Gale, that's the other one. Dwight Gale, yeah, oh, Dwight Gale and Andre Gray. And I, remember... I think, and I have a feeling, I mean, this is, what is it now, five years, I have a feeling he was also linked with Harry Maguire as a defender who was at he Hull was. at the time. Yeah, he was. I remember, I remember that when he was at, when Maguire was at Hull. I, I know. think he could have been bought for about two and a half million or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy, was, isn't it? That was... But I, at, that, at that time, I, would, I, I, I spoke to people because obviously Gray and did, not, none of them came. Um, and I, was, I remember speaking to people in football. I can't remember who, who it was, but senior people in, you know, in football at the time. And I'm saying, what? And I asked them why it was that Bristol City struggled to get people like that over the line. Because I think, I think one of them ended up going to, to Burnley or, you know, and that was Burnley before they'd had eight years or whatever it was. That was Andre Gray, I think. That was yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the Premier League. And, um, and people used to say, well, it's because you haven't been there recently. And because Bristol's a bit of an outpost. And obviously the stadium was in the process, I think, if I remember rightly. Yeah, being. Yeah. And so it, it just wasn't a fit. Well, it wasn't necessarily anything to do with Cottrell, wasn't anything necessarily to do with wages. It was just like, it wasn't very fashionable to come to Bristol City. Um, that was a view. I don't know how true it is. Uh, I, I certainly don't think it's true now. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the club is clearly a far more attractive place to come. Yeah. Than I mean, Steve Cottrell, he did challenge Lansdowne because he got to the... St I know they bought... Codger and sold him for a, <clears throat> a handsome profit but he's almost challenged because he didn't even want to put the youngsters on the bench you can probably remember a few matches where you know he named a five-man bench almost to prove a point you know and at the end of the day it's Steve Lansdowne's train set whichever way we want to look at it and you know I think I, I, my view is that Cottrell fell foul of the image that Bristol City were trying to create he didn't buy into it in the way that Maybe if he looks at himself, maybe he could have taken a slightly more moderate approach. Yeah, do you see it like that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear what Steve Lansdowne is about. And as you say, it is his train set. He hasn't hidden the way he wants to develop uh, the football club ever since he's he's been part of it. So I think maybe it was a bit naive. Uh, 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 maybe the, you know, promotion season, uh, I don't know, uh, had got to Cottrell and... You know, I, I think there's one person in that club that you don't ch don't challenge and don't challenge the principles of, and that's obviously Steve Lansdowne. And yeah. you know, it's his right to make the decisions he wants. And so, what did you think of when Lee? What did you think of it when Lee got the job? I always felt that he would because there's always been an affinity between the Johnsons and the Lansdowns. I mean, Gary Johnson's the only manager that appeared at his own press conference that he was leaving. You know, Steve Lansdowne was almost an apologist for letting him go. And then Lee came on the scene after a thorough search, allegedly. Yeah. Did you think it was a, a bold choice or what the hell are they doing? Well, it's interesting because it was quite clear that, and I think, I think it was obvious that Lee was going to be, uh, I mean, I think he was always going to be a, a Bristol City manager at some stage, if he, yeah. if he, if he carried on in, in management. And at the time, um, I think he was, was he at old um, 
uh, I think he was at Oldham at the time. But, um, yes, he was. No, Barnsley. He was at Barnsley. He was at Barnsley. Barnsley. Yeah, yeah. That's of course he was. Of course he was. And he was having one of those one of those streaky spells again, wasn't he? But yeah. um, <laughs> uh, he. Uh, I knew, I always thought he was going to be a city manager at one stage and it was no surprise when he was interviewed for this position. And, you know, I was told quite categorically afterwards that he was by far... Uh, he was did, on a short list of what? <laughs> yeah. But it's always the same, isn't it? You know, we are told and we've been told recently that, you know, they scour every single corner of the country to find the best candidate. But actually, we all, you know, they always started out with one of their favourites. And, and, and you know what, I, I, I was, at the time, I seem to remember, I was slightly disappointed, because I thought it was a bit of a gamble. But I thought, you know, just to give it a go, like, like we're doing at the moment, you know, the, the proof of the pudding and all that. If, if, if Lee Johnson can come and build a team and win games, and play exciting football, then what's not to like? I mean, but that first play. season, well, partial season, he kept us up, then he had the goals of Tammy Abraham. But if you look at his first full season in charge i think we only missed relegation by three points that year they uh, but then uh, the start of 1718 he got lucky with bobby reed didn't he because they played that high press game and i think mm -hmm. you know we had the cup run we, we we don't need to dwell on man united because we all know that was like what, what that was like but again we got ourselves into a position like we'd done under his dad in yeah. 0708. I think we when we played Wolves on New Year's Eve Eve, yeah, we were one nil up against them. And you know, I think we got what was it, twenty forty-seven points from twenty-two games or something like that. Yeah. And then we yeah. only got another twenty. What what went wrong there? Was it because people say he got rid of uh, you know he had to sell Flint, Brian and Reed, but they probably wanted away anyway. It just went to rap shit for the turn of the year, didn't it? Really? Well, it was that it was that game, wasn't it? That game to me was so critical, and everything that could have everything that could have gone right went right uh, to start with. Yeah. And then, and then it just went, you know, when um, was it Heaton got sent off? Um, yeah, they were a man down, and then we they were, were a man. And then, yes, we. And then, what's his name? Flint. Uh, Flint. Field, Fielding just Fielding. took the bloke out. Fielding, absolutely, totally unnecessary. Um, and all of a sudden, you, and you just knew, don't you? You're a Bristol City fan. You know what's coming No, I know. And then the uh, winning goal when it came in. Then we got... You know, Dutton. right last minute, you know, set piece. Villa Park, New Year's Day, Gov 5-0. Yeah, yeah, of course. Cool. Man City a couple of good games after that, in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and didn't look out of place in those games. Which, no. Is which is extraordinary, really. But then the league form, just after Wolves, just the league form just fell apart. Um, and it was just so disappointing because actually we played some pretty good football. I mean, you say it was lucky. Um, Lee Johnson might say to you, well, actually it was inspired what I did with, with Bobby Reed. But it worked. And, and um, you know, it was just, I couldn't work out what was going wrong. But in the end, you know, the confidence was shot and it didn't seem to matter what he did. He wasn't going to rescue the season. Well, they got that January transfer window wrong again, didn't they? Because they were, I think it was that was the season of Luke Donny Diony when he came in, um, one of the worst players ever yeah. to wear. I mean, he probably rivaled his dad's choice of Peter Stever. Yeah, if you're looking at Frank <laughs> bad signings made by yeah, yeah. Uh, the Johnsons, he also signed Liam Walsh at the time. And to use Boris Johnson' phrase, he was an oven-ready midfielder. Mm. But neither of those, again, they weren't bold enough. Were they? And that's... Yeah. 
and, and sometimes you've got to gamble a bit, haven't you? Yeah, because you know, at the time, I think people were saying, "Why don't we go out and sign Dwight Gay?" He wasn't getting in Newcastle's side yeah. at the time, and you could—you're not asking to buy him for eight million. You know, you pay his wages for six months, and if he gets you up, fantastic. Okay, he costs you twenty grand, thirty grand a week, but that's got to be money well spent sometimes, hasn't it? I agree, but uh, which brings me to a question I've often had with Lee Johnson, especially in the early days before he got a little bit more experience. I got the feeling that he was slightly nervous about signing big names, big stars, mm. because he wasn't used to dealing with them. Uh, and I'm not sure that despite the, you know, the pedigree they could bring and the potential influence on the, t- on the pitch, whether he liked his squad harmony to be disrupted and mm. there's no suggestion that it would have been but he dealing with big stars was never his strength and i can remember him him actually telling me um after he'd been i asked him what um after the man city game what he'd spoken to guardiola about and mm. he said ma- mainly talking about how you handle big names and big stars which was something obviously the uh, bristol city he hadn't done at that you know really big names we're talking about at that yeah. stage it was quite interesting and always worried me that he, 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 I think he, he struggles with fitting in Mavericks uh, and, and playmakers and uh, especially, especially in midfield. He doesn't like to take risks. No. Um, he likes players who played like he used to play rather than those who can win games. Yeah, good pass completion rate, but that's because they're backwards and sideways rather than uh, penetrating. I mean, let's bring it even more up to the current day. So, you sit not too far in front of me in the Lansdowne stand. And for the last uh, couple of, two and a half years, we've exchanged glances of frustration. Um, This season until COVID was uh, heading that way. And then we had the enforced break. Uh, He came back and lost four in a row. We just weren't up for it. Do you think uh, his his dismissal was justified and inevitable because we we, we had worse form than Hull going into the break, didn't we? He'd lo- I think he'd lost the dressing room. I think he just lost his way and, as you alluded to then, maybe overcomplicated it. And didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I, think, I think the timing was right. I mean, I have to say, I, was, I sat there in lockdown and I convinced myself that actually the playoffs were a certainty because I thought, I looked at the squad and I thought, you know, this is actually a really good championship squad. You've got your... Because uh, the your injuries, squad. the injured players were going to come yeah. back. All come back if you can get them. You know, if you can get them in the right positions, playing in the right formation, there is no reason why this team couldn't comfortably get in, you know win seventy five percent of the remaining games right. and be in the playoffs. But it was worse than that. I, I mean, it, it was worse than it was before we went in because one of the things I've always thought is that some of our players in the last couple of years have been a bit, you know, emotionally brittle and they struggle at Ashton Gate when the when the crowd turns and they start to lose lose confidence quicker than they should do as professional footballers but I thought at least that's not going to be a problem this time because they're not playing in front of anybody yeah but it, it just couldn't have been more disappointing and it was it was a terrible re- return and, and other teams that I knew didn't have the quality of footballers that, that we had seemed to be playing out of their skins and, and playing really nice football um, and it was just really disappointing and I think you know that was the the signal that yes the time was right you had to have a change I mean apart from anything else you know, he'd, he'd been in the job for... Just over four many, years. Yeah, many more, many more years than most people had given the time to do. He'd probably run out of ideas. He genuinely didn't know what his best team was. He genuinely didn't know the best 
best formation. And I think at the end of the day, as you say, they, you didn't lose the dressing room, but sometimes the dressing room just needs to hear something different and it, it becomes all a bit stale. And, uh, and you need, a, you need a, something as simple as a new voice can make a, yeah. make a difference. And before we finish by talking about now the Holden era that's just begun and his selection, but let, take, you, you have that broader picture of uh, sport. Football, obviously, impacted on by COVID significantly. Um, one thing that's interested me is that the Premier League, they've just been carrying on spending money like nothing's happened. Yeah? Do you think that football finances are such that in the Premier League, it's all about the media rights and therefore they're immune from not having people going in through the gate. So what's your view on the impact of COVID in football? I spoke to Jonathan Pierce the other week, actually, who'd been, carrying, who'd been viewing or commentating on matches. And he said he just didn't enjoy being in empty stadiums. It wasn't the same. But what do you think the lasting impact of COVID will be on football because no clubs have gone to the wall yet which is quite surprising but uh, your views on COVID? Yeah I, it is quite surprising and, and I'm with Jonathan on that that you know I, I I don't like it I don't football without fans is is not the sport it's supposed to be but you're right in a sense financially um, the Premier League is ring-fenced um, by the by its broadcast broadcast money even though I have to say it has lost quite a big chunk um, did some Chinese out? Didn't they lose five hundred million just yeah, the other week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've lost that, which is their biggest overseas deal, and, and of course they lost a, a wee bit over the um, the Sky deal, uh, Sky BT, Amazon deal as well. Um, not as much as that. So you know, but but we, you're talking about you know hundreds of millions in a in a pool of many billion. Um, so they are so they are immune to COVID to a certain extent if it carried on too long, but uh, it, they'd struggle. But yeah, below that, I think there are a few clubs in the Championship who are immune to mainly those with parachute payments. But if you go down to leagues one and two, they they can't they can't survive without um, fans coming through the gates. I remember at the beginning of lockdown, I went to find I went up to Cheltenham Town. You know, and they uh, to talk to them about this this particular issue, and they they were saying, well, look, um, we reckon as things stand, we will run out of money if we're not held. We will run out of money, and you know, they're a well-run club. We'll run out of money in September, and that'll be that if we can't get fans back through the door. And that and that's why the leagues, the league league one and two, they didn't want the season to continue. I mean, this is an absurd situation you're getting to, isn't it? When football clubs don't want mm. to play football because they can't afford it, but that is the case, and I think. You know, COVID is going to reset everything, especially at that level. I think the championship will be interesting um, because I think there is there is a there are so many different sizes of clubs within the championship. Yeah. yeah. Um, but below the championship, yeah, I think there's st- some are still very vulnerable. And of course, we were all thinking that from now it's the start of the phase back to fans coming in. And all of a sudden, it looks like, although the government haven't clarified it, it looks like that is not going to happen because we, we, you know, mass gatherings are now going down from thirty to six. So where does that leave sport? Well, all these all these tryout days where they were going to try and get a few fans through the doors, I wouldn't be surprised if they all disappeared and and it's all put on hold again. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Anyway, so Lee Johnson's gone, and we have a chairman who probably, with hindsight, wish he hadn't appearing on Talk Sport saying. 
we want a manager that's going to drive us to the next level. So we had sort of almost like three tiers of manager that were uh, uh, mooted as being uh, joining. Because it was obviously the popular choice, Chris Hewton. Then you have the Alex Neals and the Paul Cooks of, uh, mm-hmm. of this world that had promotion, but maybe to a lesser extent. And then you were down with, uh, you know, the Swindon manager and the Plymouth manager. I had my financial advisor telling me the Newport manager was gone. And then, lo and behold, was it five weeks later? Yeah. Dean Holden. He's yeah. the man. Yeah. And in he comes. I felt totally underwhelmed. And I think probably 99% of Bristol City fans felt the same. Maybe, were you in that 1% or were you... No, no, if I'm being honest, I was really underwhelmed. And if you'd have if, if you'd have asked me that question about three weeks ago, I'd have uh, or you know a bit long when it was happening, I'd I'd have been steaming. Um, but I I kind of you know like 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 every football fan has a right to do. I, I've kind of after listening to Dean Holden speaking this week, actually. Yeah, Jeff Jeff's interview with him. Is yeah. Really yeah, and I've, I kind of softened. You know, I've, I've softened to. It was nothing against him anyway. Well, honestly. Oh. It wasn't a personal thing at all. It was just, it just seemed to be shambolic by the by the club that you, you know you love and you respect. And suddenly there's this shambles. Um, probably a lot down to the communication at the time. Actually, I think they got that completely and utterly yeah. wrong. Yeah. They needed to keep. They they could have pacified that 99% by just you know coming out and you know Mark Ashton coming out and saying, look, we're halfway through the process. The reason why it's taking this long is because of this. Um, obviously. Yeah. Respect that I can't divulge any personal details, but blah blah blah, yeah. and then we'd have all you know. Or they could have even hid behind COVID as an excuse. Lots of uncertainty, you know. Yeah. His choice of coaches, because I don't know with your time covering England whether you met Downing and uh, Simpson, but you know they're credible guys, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, very credible guys. Not only just experience within the England camp, and you know, getting two England coach, getting two coaches out of that England camp at St George's Park is quite an achievement. Uh, but they've got experience in in the leagues as well, so I think there. Are, it feels like they could. It could be a really good, a really good setup. I like what Dean Holden is saying. I like the fact he's saying, "Look, um, you know, I know how I want to play. I am going to try and keep the same team every week um, as best I can." Uh, so, so he's saying all the right things. My only my only concern is that, you know, why. Why wasn't he saying these things when he was number two? Uh, and why was, was he, he on the wrong end? Was he on the wrong side? Because it's like having any triumvirate. Jamie Mack, you know, he was Lee's man. Yeah. If they, you know, if Jamie Mack and Lee agree on something, I couldn't see them arguing against Lee. So was he hiding his light under a bushel a little bit? He was the odd yes. man. Do you know what? It's a, very, it's a very good point, and I hadn't really thought about it about it like that because I, I always assumed that it although it was a triumvirate that Jamie Mack was a bit part player but as you say he he was Lee's man clearly because they played together for so long um, so yeah but listen I and you, quite, you say he knows how he wants to play I mean it was interesting because he had five games in charge and the Middlesbrough game was an exception but the rest yeah. of them and, and Stoke was a good game I think Stoke was going to be in a force in the championship under Michael O'Neill this coming season but you know the last couple of games it was like oh it was really meh type stuff to watch wasn't it yeah but and that didn't help in my mind when he was announced but roll the clock forward literally to the last 10 days right well two weeks ago signed Johnny Williams okay he's injured good signing 
Yeah. Yeah. Then we had Chris Martin, who, you know, is fam going to leave us? And therefore we were getting in early. And I mean, you talk to Derby fans about Chris Martin. Yes, he's 31, but he's a regular goal scorer. And then in the last three or four days, Cessignon, Alfie Mawson and um, Chris Chris Brunt. And in Chris Brunt, there you have a player that... Lee Johnson, I would never see Lee Johnson signing a very strong character like him. Yeah, so what's your view on the signings in the last, what, three weeks, all of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite quite positive. I'm quite positive about about most of them. I have have to confess, I don't know much about Williams, uh, but I hear very, very good things. I haven't Mm. seen him play. I mean, it was only, I think it was two years ago, I was up at St George's Park interviewing Alfie Mawson because he was just been called into the England squad. So... Look, that is a really, really good signing. And mind you, after after Baker getting injured till Christmas, don't we need him too? Um, and Brunt is a really interesting one. I, I, what role is he going to play, and how many? You know, what, what's he been brought in for? Presumably, um, to play as much as as he can. But he's, you know, he's knocking on a bit. Um, he's he's the kind, of, but he's the kind of experience that I think we need if if we're going to play others around him who haven't got that experience. It's like the, going back to the old Wade Elliott team. You know, if, you, if you've got Wade Elliott and... Um, uh, That's well, why I mentioned him. Front. I was almost sort of saying Wade Elliott, Wade Elliott and Aaron Wilbraham, Reed, Chris Brunt and yeah. Um, yeah. Martin. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I can, see, I can see that comparison. I can see it working. And, um, you know, and I think Mawson is just a really, really good, solid signing too. Yeah. Um, and then if you think about some of the... Yeah, some of the players that could play around around them. I think it, you know it's quite exciting. Liam Walsh coming back. I'm I'm really hoping yeah. that this is his season because yeah. he's clearly a very. I, I mean, I remember, season for Coventry last season. Yeah, I mean, I think he. I remember. I remember the first time I. Do you remember that game? It was down at the gate. I think it was against. It was against Stoke, and we it lost. It was against Walsh. Stoke, and the goalkeeper played a worldie all afternoon. But he ran the show, didn't he? Oh, unbelievable! Unbelievable! And there were some good players in that Stoke team. And I think he came on at. Well, did he come on at half time? I don't know. Yeah, but, yes, he did. But he, but he ran the entire yes. half, and that, and that was eighteen months ago or whatever. So you know, if he could do that then, and he's had that seat last sensational last season under his belt, I think he could be a really good player. There's one, you know, I'd love to see a place for Casey Palmer in there. He's been one of my biggest. I think he's not featuring, he's, is he? And it's no, like, because we've got so many. I, we've got so many midfield players now, haven't I we? I know, I know. But Palmer, but Palmer for me is one that we've just wasted because I think he's a fabulous footballer and I think he just hasn't been given an opportunity. I don't know, you may be able to tell me, I don't know the reasons why, but the only time he seems to be given a chance is 15 minutes to go and then people criticise him because he makes mistakes because he's trying too hard to impress. And yeah. I just think, you know, he made, at the beginning of last season, he made such a difference. Well, he linked uh, up with a phobie, didn't he? I mean, that opening six brilliant. games, that was good. And maybe if the phobie hadn't been injured, maybe... His, yeah, he it might be a different story. But, but you see, I, I believe we need, a, we need players like Palmer. Who, that's what makes the difference at this level. Players like Palmer who see a pass, can pass forward, who try things, who've got confidence on the ball. Uh, and I think that's what gets you, gets you in the top six. But I... I sort of realise now that yeah. that's not going to happen with him uh, this season and I wouldn't be surprised if he was uh, well Saturday's opening fixture against Coventry is looming yeah mm. I mean if you had to pick a City side let's let's sort of do it together we've got to play 3-5-2 yeah? yeah obviously it's Dan Bentley in goal yeah, yeah? 
with Baker injured, yeah, yeah, then the you know is Alfie Mawson fit? But I mean, the obvious three centre backs is uh, Mawson, Taylor, and Callas. Yeah, and you'd think that that when they are all fit, that's going to be your first choice three, isn't yeah. it? And I want to see Taylor more because I think he's a great player. I think he's a good yeah, personality. Yeah. He's bold yeah, and everything. Yeah, so that's that's your best three. Yeah, right wing back. You've got Jack Hunt, who provided both assists for the goals at the weekend, but yeah, defensively yeah. not great. You've got Zach Viner, who could play it right back. But now you've got the the other Cessignon. Cessignon, yeah. 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 Um, he's got to be a selection there. What do you think of Jay De Silva, left wing back? Do you think he's all that, really? Or? Yeah, I do. I do, I do David. I, I love Jay De Silva. I think, he, I think he's... You know, I I get where some of his weaknesses, but I don't care because I think going forward he is he's a, he's sensational on the ball. He gets out of tight. You can give him a, a ball in a tight spot, and he will you know more often than not get you out of it. I think he's a very very exciting player, very talented, and he he'd be one of the first few on on yeah. the team sheet every time for me. So then we look at the midfield three. Now we've got, again, a surfeit of talent there. The job is made slightly easier by the fact that uh, Callum O'Dowda was injured, uh, playing yeah. for Ireland. Um, um, Walsh is injured. And um, who's the other one that's uh, injured at the moment? William. He's out. Brilliant. So yeah. you've got Morel, yeah, who's playing fantastically for Wales at the moment. You've got Masengo. Mm. Yeah, and you've got Adam Naj as well. I mean, what would your midfield be? Would you be tempted with some of these injuries to to bring Vyman in, which is doesn't seem right at all that he's played in in that central, very attacking midfield. You got Jamie Patterson as well. What would yeah. your midfield starting three be on Saturday? And that's you know, there's a few players injured there, which makes the task a little bit easier. Yeah, 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 and it's it is a real difficult one. Um, it really is difficult. I suppose you've got to have, I suppose, Nudge would, for me, it would be, Nudge would be in there. I think we know that Patterson's going to play. Um, so who's your third? I think probably it will be Vyman, even in that unusual. So what? Know. So Morel won't make it to the side, you don't think? Well, you know, is got, it. And you've got no hype, you've got no physicality in midfield, no. have you? Which, again, no. they're all Lee Johnson sized players, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then I think, you know, Williams will make up for that. And I guess, you know, I don't know. It seems to me that Vyman, much as I love him, he seems pretty undroppable. So if you're going to play in with a back three, he's got to fit in somewhere. Yeah. Um, no Nicholas Eliasson, you see, that's another yeah, one. Yeah, I know. He and then up front, assuming Fan doesn't go. Who does he pick from Chris Martin, Naki Wells, or Vyman maybe, Fam, Semenyo? Don't know whether you watched that second goal. That yeah, got. Yeah. It was about 25 passes before I know. I know. tapped it in. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you said three years, two years ago, that we'd have a choice of four strikers, which would be a Senegalese international, because we didn't know him, Chris Martin, Naki Wells, and Vyman, you were, what? Us? Yeah. yeah Chris City? I know, it's true. It is true. I mean, I, d I definitely. I definitely have Wells in there um, in my two, and and then probably at this stage I'd have Fam if he if he's here if, if he's, he's here. here if he's here and if not then you know Martin sort of fits in it's a bit sort of yeah. straight away so so, so so uh, how many games to 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 finish how many games 
are you going to give uh, Holden before the frustration started? <laughs> now, because, as you say, that interview that Jeff did with him was tremendous. Uh, he strikes everybody as a decent bloke. Yeah. He's, had, he's been supported in the transfer market. He says he knows what he wants to do, et cetera, et cetera. But it's easier because crowds aren't in. He's got home matches because it's Coventry, Northampton at home. Tough game away, I think, is it? Uh, after that, but then possibly Villa at home in the cup. You know, it's between now and the next international break. You know, he's got a. They're, they're all difficult, but you know, what what does success look like to you after ten games? We did this on an earlier podcast, and we said if it had been Chris Hutton, we'd have expected seventeen to eighteen points, but yeah, anything yeah. above twelve and the holding that was before the transfers would be acceptable. So, what what does success? Yeah, look like success. To you? I, I think 15 points after after 10 games would be good um, between 15 and yeah around that sort of figure. I mean, I'm prepared. Look, now he's here. Now he's he's got his signing. There's no point in you know t- turning on someone after half a dozen games if it hasn't gone perfectly. You know, I I know we all want results immediately, but no, you know, give him 10 games, see where we are then, and then then address that question. But you know. I think if we 15 points after 10 games for us with a new manager, all those new signings would be a good result, would be a good position to be in. Yeah, and the difficulty is when you sit down and look at the fixtures and see <laughs> because 15 points is sort of you do the maths, it's sort of like a 4 3 4 from 10 games or a or a 5 0 5. I mean, you know, it's yeah. No, nobody's really gone out and splashed the cash this summer in the championship, have they? No, really? no, they haven't. And I think it's, you know, I think we thought last season was was the most open championship <clears throat> for a very long time, and that you know the the board were committed to having a go because because of that. I think, do you know what? I think this season's pretty similar to last season. Um, I don't think the team's coming down. I mean, it depends who they lose along the way, but I don't think the team's coming down at. Uh, hugely better than the teams that have gone up. Uh, and so I see it is another great opportunity. Um, well, Steve, look, it's been a pleasure. We haven't had a long chat like this for a very long time. I know we exchange words occasionally. Uh, it's been great having you on. Maybe later on in the season, if we can do something uh, similar, yeah, it'd be good to have a, yeah. a review. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do that. When we're, yeah, when we're, when we're sitting in second spot in, in January. <laughs> you never know. Strange yeah. things happen. But Steve Scott... IGV Sport, Bristol City fan through and through. It's been a... It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.